Thank you for joining us on this uh, on this breaking news broadcast. In fact, uh, for the first time on TV, we are getting you the details of how an Indian team and a team of IT researchers were the first to tell you that the COVID-19 virus was perhaps, they hinted at how it was not natural, it was unusual and uncanny, and this was the report that they put out. If my video journalist can just focus on this, I'll show you, I'll show you. On, on a very famous uh, you know, journal called BioRxiv, they put out this paper of uncanny similarity of unique inserts in the 2019 NCOV spike protein to HIV, GP120 and GAG. And the authors of that article were Prashant Pradhan, Ashutosh Kumar Pandey, Akhilesh Mishra, Parul Gupta, Praveen Kumar Tripathi, Manoj Balakrishnan Menon, James Gomes, Permal Vivekanandan and Vishwajit Kundu. The date of this article, Dr. Pra Venkatesh Rao is also joining us on the broadcast and, and, Dipti, and, and, and Dipti, let me tell you, look at the date. Date is 30th of January 2020, right? And then on top of that it says withdrawn. And then here it says the paper has been withdrawn by its authors. Now what are we, why are we showing you this and what are we saying? This is a paper and this paper was put out by scientists and researchers at the IIT and a few institutes in Delhi after they did a detailed study about the COVID-19 virus. And this study was done starting November 2019 after the first case was reported, Dipti. They went into great detail, they prepared a paper, right, a scientific paper, and there, was, there, were, there were a few findings, and they saw that they were, it was unnatural, they spoke of the spike protein. They, 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 they found out what today scientists and researchers around the world are mentioning, and we're talking about January 2020. And ironically, it's the same team, same team which developed India's what is today called the RT-PCR test. This team which first spoke about it being unusual, had developed the RT-PCR test for India in 2020. They were cyberbullied, they were called pseudo-scientists, they got anonymous mails, unverified mails, they kept getting calls and they were cyberbullied to such an extent that they had to take this paper down. Can you believe it? In January 2020, they had put out the truth about what they had learned about the virus and they were asked to take this paper down. Now, Professor Rav has been, uh, Dr. Rav has been doing his own research. Dr. Dr. Venkatesh Rav is a laparoscopic surgeon. He's an expert joining us here and he's been doing extensive research. Now, Dr. Rav, you spoke about what this report with this paper found and uh, essentially how, if you look at it, okay, let's say it this way. We Indians were the first in the world to say that the COVID-19 virus was not natural, was perhaps unusual. And a team of IIT researchers and scientists said it back then. The Wuhan truth was known to our scientists in January 2020, right? Yes, it's remarkable. I want to clarify the timeline uh, so that everyone is very clear about what happened. See, back in 2012, there was a mine incident where miners got uh, atypical pneumonia. They were investigated and the fi uh, final details were not revealed. But it was then later on found out that these people had coronavirus, after which the Chinese scientists, with American collaboration, researched, uh, uh, collected a large number of viruses from the bats which were in that mine. And later on, they went around collecting coronaviruses from bats all over China. And they so had a collection of quite uh, um, deadly viruses, first of all. And then they started gain-of-function research, which meant accelerating the evolution of these viruses uh, so that mutations occur very rapidly. And then in November, 
was uh, what the intelligence agency said was that the first cases were in november actually it was at the later part of november the first admission was around december 1st i have already explained that so it, in december the first cases got admitted into the hospital in wuhan and all that came out in a publication they made in lancet and in january of 2020 the genomic sequence was released by the chinese and then the iit people immediately got to work on it studied it compared it with other coronaviruses and with other pathogenic viruses and then published this uh, study in what is called as a preprint it is before re uh, review by um, peer reviewing and uh, getting published in a, a regular scientific journal this is a what's called as a preprint uh, uh, website and everyone puts up their article there and then only they uh, with all the comments publish it but what happened was as soon as they put it up they come on, came under a lot of psychological pressure yeah. and later on when they tried to publish it it didn't get published no one was willing to publish it yes. but it is remarkable that these indian uh, scientists in iit delhi did this great work so early yeah dipti dipti they tried to publish it in other yes, journals so they tried to publish yes. it in other journals dipti the last part what he said is yes. important they tried to they were cyber bullied yes. they tried to publish it in other other journals but they refused to take it other journals mm. refused to take it now look at see now let's put the story mm. in perspective you had nicholas wade like a, a very famous science writer you have us and uk researchers there were 18 of them who wrote an open letter you have countries now taking a stand yes. asking for the truth that was reported back then in january 2020 and when i spoke to one of the team members you know they told me off record and without taking yes. any names i can tell you they said that you know today when they are looking at what people are saying and what scientists are saying uh, they say that this is exactly what they had found back then right that it was it was man made and they were they were really trolled yes. cyber bullied and they were they were termed pseudo scientists for exposing the truth yes. back then Hmm. Yes, one uh, suddenly making um, such a discovery. Yeah. Uh, any scientist uh, um, uh, will have a bit of hesitancy, and with uh, first thing you would do is to put it up on this preprint uh, website to for other peers to comment on it. But instead of uh, encouragement and um, uh, comments, they got brickbats. So they obviously they withdrew it. and then they were trying to publish it uh, after um, doing all the review themselves but they found that no um, journal was willing to accept their publication yeah and uh, uh, in my article in sunday garden this is the fifth of a series of articles i have uh, very clearly uh, showed uh, an image from their uh, paper with their permission i have published it and also from the other two articles which i talked about and those images make and the com combination of these three articles i uh, uh, make it very clear that's why i said in that article that this uh, mystery had been solved in january of last year itself and uh, my uh, interest in this whole topic came because i was totally disappointed with what who did and hence i started looking at all the publications in scientific journals and i was stunned to see that all that was required was there including who all uh, funded this research is there in the acknowledgments in those scientific journals and i have listed all of them in in the article that i wrote it is acknowledged officially in 
journals. You don't need to go doing any major investigation. They have listed the entire set of people who have funded them from Wuhan. Yeah. Okay, you know, Dr. Rao, sir, you're, you're making some important points, but, but you know, I, I want to understand one thing. Now, there are obviously different studies that are looking at different aspects that actually tell us why possibly this virus could have been man-made. Now, your own particular, you know, study, that one we are referring to was speaking about four such inserts. They say that these inserts are not yes. naturally available in, in a coronavirus and this was engineered. Now, explain that to us, sir, and yes. what is it that has been predominant in all these studies that are raising just one question, that was this, you know, unnatural? Yeah, see, there were four inserts and none of those four inserts were available in any other coronavirus, okay? And when they checked all other known pathogenic viruses, they found that these four inserts were from the AIDS virus. Then uh, the AIDS virus is also an RNA virus, but it is what is called as, uh, it, it is uh, different in that it, uh, it, um, the RNA there doesn't uh, instruct the uh, human cell to produce the same RNA. It, it goes back into DNA and then it reverts back to RNA. Now, those kind of viruses, I don't know to use technical terms because this is uh, lay people hearing this. So when you have that kind of a RNA, which is, uh, you, you can't, uh, there is no report which shows how RNA from that kind of a virus can enter this kind of a virus. You can have exchange of genetic material between coronaviruses. These are all beta, what is classified as beta coronaviruses. But we have no uh, uh, way of uh, naturally that genetic material getting into here. So in layman's term, if I can use these kind of uh, terminology, this is a, uh, what they have done is they have chosen uh, certain viruses uh, with, uh, I would call undesirable characteristics, and then use the genetic material and done a cut and paste job. And of all these four inserts, as I said earlier, the most important is the fourth insert, because that is to do with the furin cleavage site, which is specific to humans. It is not specific to other animals. It's specific to the humans. And this increases the efficiency of this virus tremendously in infecting human beings and causing pathogenicity in it. So this is the importance of what they said, after which they, they were not allowed to publish, but various scientists who had uh, looked at this and uh, used this material, researched it, and they published it separately, including the recent uh, publications which were mentioned by the international press, which came from Britain and Norway, a lot of these things have been, uh, material has been seen and then been restudied and published elsewhere. But the first people were these people. We're very proud of what our researchers and scientists have done. And uh, that is why, you know, we keep our head held high and we say, Dipti, uh, an Indian team, an Indian team of researchers and scientists were the first to expose the Wuhan truth. Simply put to our viewers who are watching the story, where COVID first broke, our researchers and scientists found something and they put it up on this journal and they were, they were trolled, they were trolled and they were forced to take it down. And we know what, what is happening. In fact, you know, uh, many people who questioned, you know, this, this uh, Wuhan lab leak and uh, who spoke about a possible warfare, warfare or it being unnatural have all been termed conspiracy theorists 
they're all being uh, called pseudo scientists and uh, as as those pushing fake news around the world but i can tell you that it is also part of a propaganda to try and discredit those who do that and it was a deliberate attempt i can yeah yes dr rao Oh, yes. Yeah. One, one, one small request to all your viewers. Yes. Please have more confidence in Indian yes. scientists. Yes. If, if our ISRO people can send into Mars, mm. all our scientists, if you back them and you fund them and have confidence in them, they can do things, wonderful things in this world. Absolutely. On that note, I'll hand it back to you, Deepthi. Thank you, Dr. Rao, for your, for your time. We'll, we'll uh, take you. this forward later, later today. Deepthi, over to you. Okay. That was interesting. So, um, so there you have it. it. Even more scientific evidence that it is lab created. It is not natural. It is lab created. COVID nineteen is lab created virus um, that got out. All right, and COVID nineteen has the spike proteins in it that makes it unique. Which earlier, Pfizer patented the spike protein. They own that patent on the spike protein. And the spike protein is created and in or, or if shows up in the vaccinated, in the animal trials and in the human trials. They come out with COVID-19 with the spike protein after they get vaccinations. And then we roll it out to the public. And most of the people who are approving these decisions if you keep looking at it, they're all heavily influenced and funded by the drug companies. So you have Dr. Luke Montagnier is the Nobel laureate, the Nobel Prize winner in medicine. And you have all these doctors who they're, if they can't um, discredit them, would do a slur campaign because they're too, they have too much accolades, they suppress or delete or censor or remove as much of the information as possible. But Dr. Luc Montagnier, here, here is his, his credentials, all right? And if they, even in Wikipedia, <laughs> they're trying to discredit him. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Montagnier was a promoter of the conspiracy theory that SARS-CoV-2 the causative virus was deliberately created and thereafter escaped from a laboratory. Such claims have been refuted by virologists. He has previously been criticized by other academics for using his Nobel Prize status to spread dangerous health messages outside of his field knowledge. Okay. His field knowledge is that he um, sequenced the HIV virus. Okay. So when he sequenced the COVID-19 uh, and his team sequenced the COVID-19 um, genome, he saw HIV snippets in it. That's his field of knowledge. So he is within his field of knowledge to discuss this topic. And I've already shown you scientific evidence that it is a spice virus. It's created in the lab, all right? So, that's not a conspiracy theory, and it did leak from the lab. It's not a conspiracy theory. So when you're reading the, the Wikipedia, you have to understand they're much funded by the same people. So um, what is he known for? He discovered 
Discover of HIV. The 2008 Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine, 1986 Louis Gentet Prize for Medicine, 1988 Japan Prize. He's a virologist, okay, from the Pasteur Institute and also worked in the Shanghai Jiao Tong University. And you can go look at all of his accolades, okay? Um, so I bring that up because whenever you see these um, slur campaigns, misinformation, um, just branding everybody as anti-vaxxers or as conspiracy theorists, if they don't go along with the mRNA vaccine is completely safe and there's no negative adverse reactions that can come out of it, then that's what they get branded as. Um, but when people get adverse reactions, their cognitive dissonance falls away and they wanna know, what is it that I was not seeing? Now I'm open to looking at the information because I no longer live in my hatred and fear of COVID-19 or my hatred of the people who don't support the vaccination of the mRNA vaccine. So here is a video of um, Professor Luke Montagnier talking about um, the COVID variant, okay? So I am not going to play it because it's all in French, but I'm gonna read what, it has to, what he said, okay? And um, if you want to watch it, in French, uh, you can click on the link and it, it will play. So what does Dr. Luc Montagnier says? He says, if we look at the curve from the WHO, since the vaccinations started in January, the curve showing new, new infections, contamination has exploded along with deaths, notably among young people. Yes, with thrombosis, et cetera. How do you view the mass vaccination program? Mass vaccination compared to treatments that work and aren't expensive is an enormous mistake, isn't it? A scientific error as well as a medical error. It's an unacceptable mistake. The history books will show that because it is the vaccination that is creating the variant, for the China virus, there are antibodies created by the vaccine. What does the virus do? Does it die or find another solution? The new variants are a production and result from the vaccination. You see it in each country, it's the same. The curve of vaccination is followed by the curve of death. I'm following this closely and I am doing experiments at the Institute with patients who become sick with Corona after being vaccinated. I will show you that they are creating the variants that are resistant to the vaccine. Should we be vaccinating during a pandemic? It's unthinkable. They're silent. Many people know this. Epidemiologists know it. It is the antibodies produced by the virus that enable an infection to become stronger. It's what we call 
antibody dependent enhancement, which means antibodies favor a certain infection. The antibody attaches to the virus. From that moment, it has the receptors, the antibodies. We have them in the microphage. It pokes the virus and not accidentally, but because of the fact that they're linked to the antibodies. It is clear that the new variants are created by antibody mediated selection due to vaccination. Okay. So um, that is what that interview covers. So all these new variants, they affect the vaccinated population. And all these new variants are not caused by the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are not your problem. What is being censored is that you need to stop trying to force, coerce, and use all these strategies passports, mandates, fear-mongering in the news, privileges, bribes, et cetera, peer pressure, to have everybody get the vaccine because the vaccine is causing the breakthrough cases. It's causing people to get sick because of their compromised immune system. It's causing them to be susceptible to other adverse reactions, and it's also causing them to die. And it's making them also a hazard to the unvaccinated. So the problem is actually the vaccinated population. They're the ones that are in jeopardy. They're the ones that need the medical help, not the unvaccinated, okay? The unvaccinated scientifically are not the problem. It's the vaccinated who are, and that's what you're not seeing in the US media or around the world, okay? The vaccinated population needs help. And before we can help them, we need to get rid of the censorship, allow these doctors to have an open discussion about what they're finding with their vaccine injured patients, test, try different things to address the symptoms so they can help each other, share information knowledge without repercussion and retaliation. You need to stop the mass vaccinations, okay? So let's remove that. We're almost done. So, the UK has been pushing mass vaccination onto their population. Um, and this is, this is basically a, um, this is basically a, all right. So what you guys are seeing right now is the bidstats.uk website and um, let me take you to the home so you can see um, that basically it's a website where you can find any UK public sector contracts and there's a couple of these sites um, out there but this one remember when I did the first COVID series um, podcast episode where I showed you the actual drug companies Oracle BI database of all of the adverse reactions in the early vaccine recipients all over the world. 
And if you go back to that one and you watch that, or if you have been playing with that to see kind of how the numbers are increasing as the months go on for the rest of this year, um, you see that it is an Oracle BI database. So um, whether they made it public for everyone or not, um, this seems to be more Oracle uh, sponsored content discussing the censored or hidden or suppressed narrative against the, um, the safety and efficacy of the mRNA vaccine and that narrative that the, the major news stations and our governments have been telling us. Um, so there seems to be a little bit of a, um, a silent war going on in IT to get this information out. So um, I'll talk about that in another episode, but um, getting back to NHS, so the National Health Service in England. So um, back in 2020, early 2020, they had put out a bid for a contract to get AI to help them um, track all of the adverse reactions from the mRNA vaccine. So, um, and because they expected such a high volume that was going to crash their um, legacy database. And um, that happened to end up being true. So whoever put that out there in the MHRA yellow card system in the UK, they knew looking at the animal trials that there was high adverse reactions, life-threatening reactions to the animal trials and um, they still went forward to the human trials and they knew in the human trials that it was very much like the animal trials. And then they moved forward with um, going into emergency use authorization. So the MHRA yellow card system in the UK uh, knew going into the pandemic's um, vaccine initiative that um, it was going to be disastrous in terms of a lot of healthy people um, and a lot of people developing adverse reactions. So they're doing it again. So the this organization is the NHS with the UK, which is their national health system. And they have gathered enough information and evidence from um, the yellow card system and from their internal intel to know that they have a big problem in the UK. And the biggest problem that they have right now is um, blood clots, blood clots. So they expect a huge amount of their population to develop blood clots all of a sudden, so much so that they're gonna need more than the normal amount of blood clot medication for their country. They're gonna need an enormous amount. And um, the only thing that's changed in the UK in the last six or so months is um, that they push forward with the mRNA vaccine um, in initiative, propaganda, and um, program. And they're rolling forward with the mandates and their privileges and the green card system, all that, continuing to push that narrative forward. But in the back end, they know a lot of the people who got the mRNA vaccines are also developing blood, blood clot problems. And it is um, kind of a hidden 
uh, forecasts up ahead that a majority of their population is going to be de developing blood clots. And that doesn't seem to be enough for them to stop the vaccination in the green card program, or the green pass program, but for whatever reason, they put this out. So I bring this over for you to let you know that what is being shown uh, as the main narrative in the UK, in the United States, around the world, that the mRNA vaccine is the only safe and efficient solution to ending the pandemic. Um, that's what they're, that's the window dressing on the back end, behind closed doors on the back end, it's a completely different narrative. And this is not what, um, what you're seeing. So, um, so the NHS framework agreement for the supply of direct oral anticoagulants for NHS in England. So anticoagulants are medicines that help prevent blood clots, okay? And it's not just small blood clots or not just big blood clots to the brain or you know, to, to certain organs, but if you watch the previous episode where I went over the censored doctors of the pandemic and what they're seeing in their vaccine injured in the first series of vaccine injured clients, um, they're seeing that a lot of their patients are experiencing very, very tiny vein, deep vein blood clots that they could only find in a D-dimer uh, blood test. And that's why they're just fatigued, they're exhausted, they can't walk up the stairs, they can't do their, their normal um, workout that they typically do because um, their blood, they're getting these tiny deep vein blood clots all over the body and into the major organs. Um, and they're so tiny, it's really hard to notice it because it's not turning into like a, a huge heart attack or whatever. But um, you don't rebuild new veins. Those veins, like Dr. Charles Hoff said, um, those veins, once they have a blood clot and they um, blow up, you all the blood recirculates out to the different other ones that aren't, that are still functioning. So you work with less and less and less and less and less functioning veins to pump um, your blood throughout your system into your vital organs. And when you have less, um, then you, you know, you, you basically perish. So I really recommend you guys go to that previous episode. I'm not going to re rephrase everything that Charles Hoff said about what he found him in his vaccinated clients, but it's pretty startling. And the biggest issue is um, the blood clots. So England knows they have a big population who's going to be and is experiencing blood clots so much so that in their contract that they recently published a couple of days ago on July 22nd, 2021, um, they are, they put it in for 29 months. Okay. So, um, and the deadline, sorry, for 29 months. So um, anyways, their deadline is September 3rd, 2021. So they have a very short window to try to get as much blood clot medication um, produce as possible to try to um, buffer the overwhelming blood clotting that their population is expected to experience um, in the near future. So um, this is what's happening in the 
back end of the window dressing that you're seeing on the news. So um, it's a pharmaceutical product. They told you the period. It's going, the duration is 29 months. However, um, of course, the buyer is uh, NHS England in London. And um, so here's some details about it. So uh, period of framework from January 11, 2021 through April 31, 2024. So um, with an option to extend at the authority's discretion for a further period or periods up to a total of 12 months, total possible framework duration of 41 months. So they're expecting about four years out. The thing I wonder is why four years? If you inoculated um, a good half or more of your population in England with the mRNA vaccine, um, and you expect many of them to develop blood clots um, from what you're seeing already, why only four, four years? What happens after four years to this population? Wouldn't they, you just continue giving them blood clot medication for the rest of their life? So I, I always wonder when they, when they, when they put those timeframes on. Um, again, you, there's more information about the code and the reference and you can go to on the different domains to get more information about the contract. So I just wanted you guys to show you guys that, that, um, that England is expecting a majority of the population to have blood clotting issues. So they're, they're buying a huge volume, very, very quick um, of co anticoagulants. So the next image that I'm going to show you is um, scholar.google.com. So this is a fun exercise I'm going to leave you guys with. So scholar.google.com is basically a search repository where you can search any medical published research findings, peer-reviewed and new ones that have yet to be peer-reviewed as well. And um, whenever a research team or a doctor or anybody does something, they always want to publish their findings so that they can get that stamp and so they can get that accolade um, in their life work. So here, whenever you hear something that sounds so sci-fi, sci so surreal that you just want to know, does that even make sense? Um, so and when it comes to the pandemic, some of, some of this sounds really, really fantastic. So I always say, go and see for yourself what kind of research the medical community is already doing or the um, technical community is already doing. So I suggest some terms such as nanomedicine and COVID-19 vaccines. I'm gonna put this in the description as well. So it'll give you some framework for looking at things. And if you put that in there, you're gonna get a lot of, um, here's NIH.gov, um, which is directed by your own, Mr. Anthony Fauci. Um, but you can get a lot of medical organizations. And here are some of the findings that they find. So lipid-based nanoparticles in the clinic and clinical trials from cancer 
nanomedicine to COVID-19 vaccines. So there's, um, here's another one. Nanomedicine as a promising approach for diagnosis, treatment, and prophylaxis against COVID-19. Um, so you can just go down and kind of read all of them. Um, if you click on, on them, they'll take you to the medical journal, and then you can um, always read the abstract, basic summary. And I always recommend when you're doing this, um, if you want to see the credentials of the researchers, just put your finger over the highlight and that will take you to the different um, doctors. And when you click on it, it'll pull up all their, their CVs. So here's, let's go back to the search and do another one. So, um, so the reason why nanomedicine and COVID-19 vaccines um, is a search term that I recommend is a lot of people don't want to believe that they're putting lipid nanoparticles into people through these vaccines. But you do the Google Scholar search and you get numerous published medical um, papers going over their clinical trials of putting lipid-based nanoparticles into vaccines and into people. So it's not science fiction. So here's another suggested term. Um, graphene oxide and COVID-19 vaccines. So another one where people are like, no, they're not. Why would they? That sounds so fantastic. Graphene oxide in COVID-19 vaccines. That is graphene oxide in any kind of medicine. That sounds so fantastic. It doesn't sound like it's real. So go to Google Scholar and check it out for yourself. Let's see what the medical research is already doing um, that we're not partaking in knowing about. So can graphene take part in the fight against COVID-19? Um, here's one, can nanotechnology help in the fight against COVID-19? And they're going over graphene oxide, graphene oxide, silver nano comp composites. Um, the materials tested were graphite. So they are testing graphene oxide or graphite in nanotechnology in these vaccines. Here's another one. Um, potential of graphene-based materials to compact COVID-19 properties, perspectives, and prospects. So just you can kind of go through any of those and just read it. Um, so the, the concept of using graphene oxide in COVID-19 vaccines in development of vaccines, when you see the medical papers that they actually are, are studying this, it's not so fantastic. Here's another one, um, Lucy Fure's lipid nanoparticles and the COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, so um, when, what do you get? What are the, the physical published research findings that they're doing right now and have been doing? So you get design of SARS-CoV-2 conjugated receptor binding domain mRNA vaccine delivered via lipid nanoparticles. That's the very first one that comes up. Um, let's click on that. That was actually from the NIH.gov website. 
Okay. So the designing a SARS-CoV mRNA vaccine um, that uses lipid nanoparticles to deliver. So, and it goes over, there's your paper, goes over all of the medical information and kind of how they came up with their findings. Um, I also, you can also find some really great treasures in the sites, the cited by or the references in the end of the articles uh, and, and see that. And then of course, put your finger over the name of the person and it will show um, for the authors, it will show all of their credentials in terms of um, their, their work, their um, background. And let's go down more. Um, mRNA vaccine delivered using nanoparticles, self-amplifying self RNA, SARS-CoV-2 lipid nanoparticle vaccines induce equivalent preclinical antibody teeters and viral neutralization to recovered COVID-19 patients. So anyways, um, you guys can go through that. It is actually, once you kind of get into it, it is actually kind of fun to see, hmm, when, when I watch an interview and somebody's saying something, I wonder if they were actually doing that in real life. Let's see how fantastic it is. Go to Google Scholar, see what the published research on the medical findings and the technology findings they are finding already. Um, another really good one is adverse reactions and COVID-19 vaccines. And here we go. Um, neurological complications of COVID-19 vaccines. That's from NIH.gov. Well, oh darn, they already knew that you're gonna get neurological complications if you took the COVID-19 vaccine. One of the adverse reactions. Let's let, let, let skim through this a little bit here. As of March, to 2021, 51,755,447 doses of the vaccines were administered in the United States. Um, the most common neurological symptoms include dizziness, headache, pain, muscle spasms, myalgia, parathesis, which are expected to occur, rare cases of tumor, diplopia, tendonitis, dysphonia, seizures, we reactivation of herpes zosters have been reported. There are also cases of stroke, um, actually 17 cases, GBS, uh, which is 32, facial palsy, 190, traverse myelitis, nine cases, and acute disseminated encephalom. Yeah, these are really long. Um, so anyways, and they just kind of go over their laundry list of things that they found in the clinical trials so far, or the emergency use authorization of COVID-19 mRNA vaccines on, onto the general public. And um, it seems that unless people do something about forced vaccinations and mandatory vaccinations, the, the, the drug companies will continue to you know, instill draconian measures using the government's um, oversight and resources. So uh, 
that's been the pattern and it's carrying on. So um, this, let's do another one. Are COVID-19 vaccines safe in pregnancy? Hmm. I'm going to look through here. There's no difference in every day. Yeah, so anyways, a lot that one has that one has a lot as well in it. So anyways, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go start, start diving into every single um, research paper. But if there's a specific topic that you are really, really interested in, um, that really touch a nerve um, regarding the mRNA vaccines, um, go to scholar.google.com and type in your search phrase to see what medical research findings have already been published about that. So if you're pregnant, or you know, somebody who's pregnant, or want to get pregnant, and you're curious about the research findings on that, you can search that. If you're interested in the lipid nanoparticles and what it does to people, you can research that. If you're interested in the luciferase lipid nanoparticles or the graphene oxide in vaccines, you can look at that. It's all right there. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to search really quick. Um, oh, I can't remember. Anyways, this is a fun exercise that you guys can you guys can do. So I'm gonna stop sharing there. So, um, anyways, a quite a long presentation today. Thank you for watching all the way through. I hope it was very enlightening. Um, there's so much more censored or suppressed or hidden, whatever term you want to use, um, information that is not being reported in the main um, news stations or um, in all of the public sector information, the radio uh, and the highway, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're getting the narrative that is um, being presented to you, but the truth is the stuff they don't want you to see. And I'm showing you the stuff they don't want you to see so that you can make a decision about your health for yourself, your life and how you wanna navigate um, this very, very interesting time. I'm, I'm still deciding what's my opinion about, about all of this. So um, I think I'm going to put it into the Buddhist mandalas book three, because I know every Buddhist knows that the pandemic is a huge life lesson for humanity. And I want to see what happens with humanity and what we do with um, this whole saga that we are living in right now. So um, this concludes this episode of Merkaba Chakras. Thank you for listening to another lightning conversation. Until next time, blessings. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to MerkabaChakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes 
and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension. Until we meet again, blessings.